This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When I met you in the summer. Equity Minds. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to the Equity Mate Summer Series, proudly brought to you by Sharesies. Over 12 episodes, we're diving into some of the most exciting, the most interesting and well-known companies from Australia and the US. Each episode, we're also joined by an expert to help us unpack the key metrics, the bull case and the bear case for each company. My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Good to be here for our only rate Yes. For the summer series. Only REIT. Real Estate Investment Trust. Yeah, that's the jargon. You want to own property, you don't have to go to Commonwealth Bank and get a mortgage. No. You can buy it on the share you market. You can get a REIT. And you don't, you can get some different types of property. And the one that we're going to talk about today is one that people probably don't think about, but it's been a pretty good investment. Pretty good investment. You would have seen plenty of them around. We are diving into National Storage REIT. NSR is the ticker listed on the ASX. And our expert joining us in the second half of this episode is Lou Pirink from Jarden, the investment bank, to help us really understand the bull case, the bear case, and what are the metrics that you look at when it comes to investing in storage units? Yeah. So National Storage, for people that aren't familiar, is self-storage. Yeah. Big warehouse, divided into smaller units, people come and rent there and they put their stuff. Today's episode and the summer series is proudly supported by Sharesies. A couple of reasons why we love Sharesies. You can invest the way you like. You can choose from over 8,000 companies and exchange traded funds in Australia, in the US and over on New Zealand markets. Plenty to choose from. Plenty to choose from. And they are pretty accessible, very approachable platform, especially with the ability to auto-invest in all of those markets that I just spoke about. You can dollar cost average into Australia, US and New Zealand, all the markets, all available. Love to see it. Download the Sharesies app or visit www.sharesies.com.au to learn more. If you use the code GROW, they'll throw an extra $10 into your account when you sign up, ready to invest. Promotion terms and conditions do apply. All investing involves risk. This is not a recommendation and you should perform your own research. Promo T's and C's apply. And that code is open to everyone. It's public and we don't get a kickback from it. It is just for the user, $10 into the account. And Ren, to close out, we are not licensed. We're not aware of your financial circumstances. All information on the show is for education and entertainment purposes only. So in one sentence, what is National Storage REIT? You'll do that long an introduction and then you'll only give me one sentence. (laughs) (laughs) It is Australia and New Zealand's largest self-storage provider. Nice. Okay. Or one of. 
Let's go with largest. <laughs> I bet you That's by some metric they're largest. <laughs> Self-storage has been a bit of an investment trend. Yeah, if you're in FinTwit, uh, fin- financial Twitter, you'll probably see people speaking about it. It's like one of those um, investment things, kind of like, you know, like vending machines, self-storage. It, it strikes me as a real like Gary V investment right. rate, rate makes some more money. I'm sure all but, the fund managers. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the business behind self-storage, at least one of the bigger businesses here in Australia and New Zealand behind self-storage, uh, National Storage. So it was founded in 2000. It was listed in 2013 as a real estate investment trust. Uh, and to quote the company, it's Australia's first listed, independent, internally managed, fully integrated owner and operator of self-storage centres in Australia. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> I think our sentence is better. One of Australia and New Zealand's biggest self-storage providers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true. So what they've managed to do, Ren, is consolidate a number of, I guess, small-time storage facilities yeah. and now have... a quite a large distribution network. They've they've taken over and acquired 160 centres in Australasia since the start of 2013. Yeah. So they have over 200 in total. So really this story is a story of listing in 2013 and rolling up mm. self-storage. Ah, the old roll-up. The old roll-up. Um, <laughs> in FY22 alone, they acquired 23 locations, spent $200 million doing it. The first part of this story is a roll-up story. Mm. The second part is organic developments. So they have 34 active projects at the moment. 21 of them are new developments like Greenfield site or whatever. They're building more self-storage. The other 13 projects are expansions or redevelopments. So taking their existing sites and redoing them. But that's the business. It's essentially become the number one self-storage player like some of the best businesses are simple businesses and all they're doing is acquiring more and more storage space so you can store all your crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of storing stuff, they offer self-storage, they offer storage for businesses, they offer climate-controlled wine storage, vehicle storage. They also do a bit of vehicle and trailer hire just to th- throw that in there. Yeah, to get, get to and from the storage. They also sell boxes. Anything, all of your storage needs, these guys have it covered. <laughs> Tupperware? Not big enough. <laughs> <laughs> so then when, when looking at a, a REIT, Ren, real estate investment trust or a real estate business, because at its core, this is what you're actually investing in. You're investing in the storage units and then the ability for them to rent out and generate a bit of an income yeah. from these storage units. So occupancy rate is a key metric to look for. Across all real estate. If you're looking at offices, if you're looking at retail space, you know, like a, a Westfield owned by Centre Group, you know, the or if you're looking at national storage, one of the key things you want to look for is how much of the available space that they have actually taken. Because you can have the best space in the world, but if your occupancy rate's very low, it's not going to do that too well. So national storage... Where are we coming in at? So they have an, a group occupancy rate across the board of 88.9%. That is up almost 3% in the past financial year. So more more people are renting more of their space. Uh, seems like a pretty solid 
Occupancy rate. I would add that the Wagga rental market <laughs> has an occupancy rate of something like 99%. For residential? Yeah. Oh. So not comparable, but... N- yeah, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> sort of throwing that tidbit. And so I guess the, the reason why occupancy is important is how you make money on a REIT is twofold. First of all, the property that it owns gets more valuable. So national storage own a couple of billion dollars worth of property i.e. the storage facilities and the land that they're on. And then, so that's the first way you make money, that land getting more valuable. And the second way you make money is from tenants paying Mm. rent or in this case from storers paying storage fees. Mm. And so a high occupancy rate is good because it means there's money coming in, there's income that you get paid, but then it also means that the land that they hold is more valuable because it's producing income. It's producing more income. That's the business, baby. It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> so I guess the question, Bryce, is across, like, how does that compare? Is yeah. it 89% good? Is, good? is it bad? Um, it sounds pretty good. So Cushman Wakefield, they have some insights for across Australia's self-storage sector. Do you want to have a punt? What do you reckon it would be? Average occupancy? Yeah. Across In the board. self-storage across Australia? 72%. Really? I don't know. <laughs> You said guess. I did say guess. Uh, so 88%. Oh. But last year it was 83%. Okay. So it was up uh, like five percentage points up in a year. Interesting. So I guess we bought a lot of stuff during COVID. Now, do you want to have a guess what the US occupancy rate is? They would probably be storing a lot. So 92 You've absolutely nailed it. Nice. 91.5%. There you go. Yeah. So we've got got some room to grow. Yes. So we've got some room to grow, but I guess national storage keep building. As well. National storage keep building, yeah. So where do, where, do, where does the future lie for national storage? Because is this just a roll-up game? Are they just – is their play here to – I guess get as many of the small time fragmented players that are in the market. I know there's one near where I live that it's just a solo player has a warehouse, not many units come in by that. This is where they're getting their revenue from. Yeah. So they've got four strategies of growth, organic growth. So improve occupancy rate. Then they've got acquisitions, roll up the local storage place that Bryce was talking about. Third pillar is development and expansion. So that's, you know, building more storage then the fourth one, which every company is going to put in, technology and innovation. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon the technology and innovation pipeline for the self-storage? Remote locking. That's not bad. <laughs> it's got to be maybe, I was going to say climate control, but we already know they're doing climate control with wine. We come to you. We bring your storage unit to you. Well, that exists. That's um, Taxi Box. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, taxi yeah. in a box or whatever it's called, Taxi Box. It tells you how much wasted storage space you have in your unit and you could get a smaller or larger unit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm just sitting here thinking, what's the demand for storage here? Like like if you're investing in one of these, you're, you're it's twofold. You want the value of the property that National Storage REIT has, but you want that occupancy rate getting higher and higher at the end of the day. Let me give you the bull case. Australians as a population are getting older. Have you seen our demographic pyramid? And you know what happens when you get older and when the kids leave home and they stop calling? You downsize. Yes. 
but you don't want to get rid of your stuff because you've been building a life together. You've got so many memories. Bryce's beautiful painting from when he was five years old. What are mm-hmm. you going to do with that? You can't fit it in the house, but you can't throw it out. It would yeah. break his heart. National storage. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not wrong. I'm actually reading a little bit here and uh, there's some pretty strong drivers around that, but also the you know, consumerism, e-commerce growth, but primarily shrinking living spaces is becoming a, a big driver. Think about all these houses that are being built smaller and smaller and downsizing population density in the cities. I guess they're all factors for people wanting self-storage. Yeah. It's interesting. So what are the numbers, Ren? Because it's real estate, because you're looking at what's the value of the real estate I'm buying when I buy a share, we wanted to start with net tangible assets. Now, net tangible assets are tangible assets minus liabilities. Forget goodwill and all of that stuff. Basically, how much for a company like this, how much land do they own minus how much debt do they have? Mm-hmm. The, the, what's left is your net tangible assets. Divide that by the number of shares they have. $2.34 a share and the share price is $2.40 when we record. So, so a little bit of a premium, yeah, but, but yeah. seems, but it feels not. It feels like that's where it should be trading. Yeah, yeah. the value of their investment properties was up twenty six percent last year. Nice, good time to be in property. Yeah, <laughs> when's, <laughs> when's a bad time to be? <laughs> Market cap of three billion. They are down eleven percent year to date, but they have been up fifty percent. Well, they are up fifty percent over the past five years, and ran pretty good returns since they IPO'd. Total shareholder returns of 308% outperforming ASX 200 and more importantly, the ASX 200 REIT index by 185% and 213% respectively. Not bad. Uh, So that's the market cap story. You've said it was a boring business, but boring business with with good returns, it's great. Yeah. Uh, The revenue story is also pretty impressive. So $280 million revenue last financial year. When they first listed, $54 million in 2013. So five times. Yeah, so that's a compound annual growth rate of about 25%. Pretty impressive. Growing your revenue 25% a year is very impressive. Mm. We, it's always a key call out with roll-ups though because when you're rolling up businesses, of course your revenue is going to grow. If you're buying a new business every year, buying new storage units every year, you're getting a revenue freak kick. The question is... Is profit growing? Mm. Well, what's the answer? Is profit growing? $27 million last financial year. Yeah. Five years ago, $7 million. So it is. It is. Up almost 300%. Not bad. Not bad. So what about in terms of someone sitting back going, all right, so I've invested in this and the long-term play, I hope that the the NTA goes up and um, that's where I'm, I might get a return later down the track. Are these also an in- income-producing stocks? Like are these the, the dividend, uh, the yield stocks that if these companies are taking in rent each month or whatever it is, are they a yield stock? National Storage has a 4% dividend yield. Okay. Pretty good. Yeah, not bad considering what, you could, uh, what you're getting in banks at the moment. The final question, maybe this is something we speak to Lou about, how big is this? Like I know you kind of asked that question before and I gave you the boomers downsizing answer, but like the 25% combat annual growth rate, you know, what, what's the total addressable market when it comes to self-storage? That, that's probably my key question. But the business story of the past decade is pretty undeniable. Well, I guess the question is, do they start heading overseas? 
Yeah, but like all self-storage markets the same. I know, yeah, Probably. true. <laughs> so as we're learning over the summer series, it's not your high-flying fancy tech companies that are the only ones that are pumping out good revenue numbers year on year. The last 10 years, what was it, 24% thereabouts yeah. for, for national storage REIT. So national storage REIT is available on the Australian Stock Exchange. The ticker is NSR and you can access the Australian markets plus US market and New Zealand market on the Sharesies platform with no investment minimum. Invest the way you like, choose from over 8,000 companies and exchange traded funds across the three markets. Sharesies platform makes investing easy. All investing involves risk. This is not a recommendation and you should perform your own research. Promo T's and C's apply. Now we are going to take a very quick break and we will be right back to discuss National Storage REIT with Lou Pirink, who is the head of property research at Jarden. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, well, we're back from the break and it is our pleasure to welcome an expert to the studio to help us talk through National Storage REIT. And we have Head of Property Research at Jarden, Lou Pirink. Lou, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, Lou, uh, we've spoken a little bit about what the company does, National Storage, but now we want to speak about it as an investment. And we really want to start with how you analyze the company and how you think about the company. So when you're looking at any REIT, but in this uh, instance, National Storage, what matters? Like, what are you really looking at? And then on the flip side, is there anything that you just don't worry about that you might hear about in the media or something where you're like, that doesn't matter for this company? Yeah, no, I think uh, it's, it's a good question. I mean, the two key things for any property trust is, you know, rent and then your cost of, of, of doing business. So if you, th- if you think about the rent uh, for storage, that's called RefPAM, revenue per available meter. Clearly your contracts are much shorter than, than for you know, an office building or, or retail, retail building, but that's really what we're, what we're focused in. How much can they charge? Combination of occupancy and, and your average rate. The drivers for that rent are you know, housing markets, structural trends like you know, people moving into smaller places, working from home, online retail, a third of revenue is now actually small businesses oh wow and you know a lot of that is just online you know people importing things from you know say china yeah. uh, and then shipping it to, to to consumers so it's basically it's it's and that's the good thing about the business model is that all these drivers have slightly different trends uh, and therefore there's not one particular thing that we worry about but yeah it's probably con- the consumer discretionary spending and the housing market that are the, the key drivers or the key metrics that we look at then the other big thing for for any property trust is is cost of debt uh, clearly we come out of a period of is it five ten years of you know free uh, debt um, well now suddenly you need to pay for for your borrowings um, national storage gearing is you know luckily quite low but it's definitely in a, a big headwind but the good thing is that their their top line growth is very strong at the moment so they're probably one of the REITs that are least worried about rising cost of that. And so how are they able to increase the prices that, that they charge year on year? What's their pricing power? Yeah, the pricing power really, I mean, it all, all to do with uh, occupancy. So yeah. when they first IPO'd 10 years ago, I think the average occupancy was 
mid 70s, maybe high 70s. Uh, and at that point, they would increase prices, um, but it would be a little bit more hit and miss. In some markets, all of a sudden, your, your occupancy drops quite a bit if you increase your pricing. Um, now that the average occupancy for the portfolio is 89%, mm. you could argue that in many of your assets, you're, you're full. Uh, there's always some you know, time in between a tenant moving out and, and somebody else moving in. So if you're in that high 80s to mid 90s, you can basically start pushing price. Um, the other important thing is technology. Kind of now they have quite sophisticated yield management systems, a bit like hotels or um, you know any other online online business. So they can now asset by asset, as opposed to let's just increase all prices mm-hmm. nationally by ten percent and see what sticks. Now they can actually be very specific about you know Perth Airport, just as an example. You know it's a bit weaker, so we're not going to push the price, but you know. A term and it's 98% full and we're just going to keep increasing the prices until yeah. we see a negative impact. Yeah, we were we were joking about that in the first half of this episode. Um, well, on their investor deck, there's four pillars to growth and it's, you know, the organic growth, improving occupancy, acquisitions, uh, development and expansion, and then this fourth pillar of technology and innovation. And we're just saying that every company these days has <laughs> yeah. technology and innovation as or a pillar. Web3 or Web3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like what what is the technology in the self-storage game? But yeah. you've just mentioned one example there. Are there any other examples of uh, cutting-edge technology that we should be oh, aware of? I think all we came up with was... Um uh, remote locking. Remote like, locking. Yeah, using your, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was going to be the other and, one. And I was climate control. And climate control. Yeah. In order like of importance, that. yield management is going to be, you yeah. know, 80% yeah. of it. Um, then it is, you know, if customers feel that, you know, they don't have to bring their pet lock or their key, that's all a little bit uh, easier. Yeah. I mean, reservation system, which is linked to that yield management system, but I guess the easier it is you, you make it for people to book, to keep paying, to almost forget about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they will keep okay. paying without yeah. kind of anybody realizing that they're spending spending that money that's all all very positive yeah. um cyber security given that it's a customer base um, a consumer facing company mm. um is very important as well bryce had a suggestion that they should come up with something where they tell their customers how much unused space that they're paying for so they can downsize that doesn't feel like a great business move <laughs> or though. they need more <laughs> <laughs> well it is it is one of the great things about storage is and and you know i think many of our you know colleagues and friends are aware of it once it's in storage yeah, yeah. the, sight, the, the hurdle of having to go and yes. and go through yeah. it and yeah. empty it is yeah. is quite high. So you yeah. give up a lot of things in a in a slowdown before you, I think, make the effort of throwing away your your storage. Yeah. It, even just the idea of going to a storage unit and unpacking the boxes and sorting it—that for me is too much. I'm just like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting. So let's turn to the bull case. You've been covering this stock since IPO. What, what is the bull case for it and how is the company trying to, I guess, maintain competitive advantage or build competitive advantage? I mean, I think the most important things in the 10 years that it's been listed now is scale. Kind of when when the, the company first came to market, it was, you know, it, it was large, um, but it was still all about we need to buy as many assets as we can to, to kind of create that scale. Now it feels like they have that scale. They still want to grow, but they can be more selective in, w- in where they want to grow. Kind of, so it's not just we buy any storage facility that's out there uh, and we'll pay top dollar for it. Now they will be much more selective about buying land and building a new facility. So development has become a much bigger part of the, uh, of the growth story. Um, so that's the, that's the first one. The second one are these structural trends that I spoke about earlier, kind of downsizing, kind of mm. housing affordability, unless, you know, that disappears, which I think is unlikely. People will always look at, you know, do I get a three-bedroom 
apartment or house or do can I do with two bedrooms and then I just put some stuff in storage mm. working from home um, yes post COVID we're back in the office but I don't think anybody is now sitting at home saying oh you know that, that, that home office that we've created or the spare bedroom I want to turn back into just putting all my stuff in. Um, so I think that is a structural trend. I mean, we'll, we'll see over the next few few years. Uh, online retail, as, as I said before, I think is here is here to stay and will we'll grow. It almost becomes a, a small logistics play. Um, and with logistics in Australia, you know, sitting on less than 1% um, vacancy, all of a sudden the demand for that is quite strong as well. Mm. So I think the, the, the structural growth is there, the scale is there. And, and then what is important as well is that it's a very fragmented industry. So there's, there's really only three major brands, yeah. National Storage, Storage King and Canards. Yeah. But more than 50% of storage nationally is still independent. So there's that right. ongoing really? growth okay. that, that you can you know, either, either build something um, and, and see what happens or you can still consolidate yeah, um, cause, cause the industry. That was, that was going to be my question. Like they've had an incredible run of growth. They've acquired, I think, about 160 uh, companies or sites and they've got over 200 in their portfolio. And the question becomes how big can this market be for them? But if over 50% is still smaller independent players, then I guess that's really the answer to the question. That yep. Yep. So there's that structural growth, you, you can consolidate. And I think that a lot of the smaller independent operators are starting to realize that when you only have one to 10 facilities, then building a yield management system, a marketing, a website, sorry, yeah. um, a marketing platform uh, is all much, much yeah. harder. Opportunity for some young software developer to build a yield management system and sell it to the independents. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> I can't code, so yeah. not me. <laughs> I think because, I mean, um, the, the US is such an established storage market. Mm. I think most of those technologies have been there for a long time. True, true. Um, and, and are being used here now. Yeah. I know that's how National Storage got their yield management system. So on the flip side, if we think about what breaks the thesis for National Storage, what keeps you up at night when you're thinking about this company? Where could it all go wrong? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. I think structurally, it's actually quite hard to see other than somebody else coming in and building from scratch an, an equal portfolio. Mm. That, that is difficult to see. In the near term, it is still more cyclical than most of the other asset classes just because your leases are shorter. Yeah. So if you do see a severe consumer downturn, as much as we were talking about the hurdles of giving up your storage, if, if things get really bad... At some point, you will realize, oh, we're paying a lot for storage. We don't know what's there. We don't mm. need it. Um, so maybe we should look at it. And the same with the housing slowdown. It's not so much house prices, but it's if people stop renovating, if people stop um, moving from A to B, it almost doesn't matter if it's upsizing, downsizing or, or moving sideways. All of that is a good storage event. Mm. Can be for a month, can be for six months, can be at that yeah. point for, for, for multi-years. Um, and in interest rates, as I, as I mentioned before, that, that right now is probably what keeps management up at night most yeah. in terms of just how do you manage the, how much do you hedge, how much don't yeah, you don't yeah. you hedge. Uh, but they're all, the good news for them is that it's all more cyclical worries than structural. Business model disruption is something that you think about with a lot of businesses, hard to see it with uh, a business like this. Earlier in the episode, Bryce and I were talking about, I think it's called Taxi Box, where they um, they like go to your house and they you pack it there and then they take it away. That's probably the only business model innovation that we could think of. Are, are there other ones maybe coming out of the US or something that could, uh, you know, challenge 
the established self-storage business in Australia of drive your stuff to the shed, put it in there, lock the door? It's hard to see. And and the taxi box model is, is an interesting one. I think a lot of people would pay a premium for if I don't have to go to my storage and somebody can just take, take it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an operating model, it also helps that you can then move. I mean, if land becomes too expensive, wherever these taxi boxes are today, you can just keep moving them further out, you yeah, know, yeah, east, yeah. west, north, south, depending on where land is still cheaper. Clearly, it has a massive operating cost linked to that. You know, all of a sudden you have, you know, truck drivers, the cost of that, the logistics of that, things can go wrong in transit. Um, so, I mean, we often ask National Storage um, and, and Storage King whether they are considering it, and they're very happy at the moment for yeah. people to just come to them as opposed to the other way around. And I think right now um, the structural growth is enough for there to be enough you know, growth for both a mobile and a, and a traditional storage. Mm. The one thing we have thought about is potentially is there going to be an aggregator of storage facilities? So a bit like in hotels where you used to just go to a hotel and whatever they quoted, you would have to pay. Now you can go to you know booking.com or any other website, um, which is kind of a bit of a race to, yeah. you know, the bottom in terms of pricing i'm not sure that there is enough you know because you have two really dominant yeah. players and then a canals is really only in sydney mm. that makes it a little bit harder for an aggregator to make make that money mm. especially yeah. when the current operators are already quite efficient mm. in how much they can they can charge uh, but that's something you, to to watch that would be fascinating yeah what about a like massive warehouse where all the internal storage compartments can change size to the perfect size? That's yield management. It's not bad. <laughs> no, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. I don't know how you, know how you would build that. Yeah. Doesn't matter. If you can make that work, yes. <laughs> feel free to pitch it to <laughs> any of the companies. <laughs> what does um, national storage look like in 10 years? What would you hope to see from it? Their own objective is to double in in size over the next five years. And I don't think there's anything to stop them from then in 10 years' time to maybe not double again, uh, but certainly be 3x in terms of the the, the square meterage of of space through a combination of acquisitions and and developments. And I mean, I've mentioned it before, but developments really is a very big part of, of the growth story now. There's a real premium being paid for more modern facilities because you do have safety and, and, and technology kind of, and people just like fancy uh, <laughs> f- fancy buildings as opposed to dodgy uh, storage buildings on, a, on an industrial side. Mm. And right now I don't see any reason why they, why they can't. It's a very simple model mm. from that point of view. It's mm. really just keep buying or building more space. Yeah. I, think the, I think they've proven that they can increase the occupancy. So I think they're kind of now in that sweet spot. Yeah, they can add another two, 300 basis points, but I don't think it's ever going to be 99% full. So the growth is going to be from, from expanding. And because Australia is still a relatively new market um, in storage compared to uh, the US or, or the UK, which are the more established markets. So space per square meter, I actually can't remember top of my head what that is, but I think with the US it's probably less than half in terms of, and yes, there's big structural differences in terms of what the US is compared to Australia, but I still think it's a it's a very good story for them. Does this model travel? Like does National Storage or Storage King or Kennards decide that, you know, we're going to go to New Zealand or Indonesia or I don't know, like, or does it just stay in Australia? No, it, it does travel. I mean, National Storage and Abacus both are in New Zealand. Oh, okay. um, it's almost seen as, you know, the part of the, the same region. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think if you then go to Southeast Asia, 
you just need to understand the market yeah. quite well. So, so I think that that would actually ironically be a bit of an indication that maybe they're they not as comfortable with the growth domestically. True. Yeah, if you yeah, see yeah. them go go yeah. there. Um, but then National Storage was, you know, under takeover offer from two US players just All before right. COVID. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Um, so clearly US players felt that it was something that, you know, they can there's benefits to being global as opposed to just a US player. Mm. Wow. It does feel like a prime private equity roll-up play mm. that they, like Blackstone or KKR, maybe the market's not big enough for them, but they come in and aggressively hire, buy one of the big guys and then try and aggressively roll up a lot of the independent players just with their balance sheet. I think that's right. I mean, Blackstone is, you know, they've, they've bought a few sites, I think, be, be, okay. uh, in, in Australia. And I think they, they are on record to, to like storage as an asset class globally. The tricky thing is now in Australia where you have two dominant players, as much as there's fragmentation for Blackstone to basically build this one asset at a time. Um, and maybe that's a great, a great story. I don't know what they're going to do, but consolidation cer- certainly is something that could happen. It's, this has been a great conversation and just a reminder that you don't have to be too complicated when it comes to investing. Sometimes simple is great. No, that's absolutely absolutely right. And that's the great thing about REITs and, and national storage in general is that it's very much a question of rent minus, you know, oper- some, some overheads and then and then your cost of, cost of debt mm. and that's it. Well, speaking of other REITs, uh, you mentioned uh, at the start of this something that uh, caught my ear. You said you're not too worried about uh, national storage's debt and it made me wonder which rates you are worried about care to uh, name any that you, you are worried about yeah let me i think any REIT where gearing it's, it's a combination of things it's it's gearing is one thing and, and all the REITs have learned from the financial crisis so i think the average gearing for the sector is you know high 20s um and it has been a lot higher but i think anybody who is kind of 30s particularly mid 30s or above and also based on a very aggressive cap rate. You know, clearly cap rates is, is you know, important um, as, you know, the, the, the multiple or the inverse multiple of the asset, of the rent. So if you are if you have a cap rate of, you know, say 4%, well, the cost of debt is now, the marginal cost of debt is now 5, 5.5%, then clearly that will have to go up and therefore your gearing will, will go up quite aggressively as, as well. So it's actually, I mean, I, I'm not avoiding the question, but <laughs> I, I really can't think... I, I don't have any REITs that we cover that I think, oh, that, that's a, a disaster in, yeah, the, okay. in the making. The sector overall is in good shape. I do think that there's going to be some REITs that will start selling some assets mm. to just have some more wiggle room yeah. in case cap rates move up more than than we thought. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's a good news story. That's a positive note yeah. to end it on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And maybe tying that back to National Storage, their cap rate is 5.9. So they also have one of the most conservative cap rates out there. So even with the rising cost of debt, and, and that's kind of what I meant with why I'm less, I'm always worried about debt. <laughs> and, and clearly their interest expense is going up. It's just to have a lot of top line growth. Um, their gearing is is very manageable and their cap rate is very conservative. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, national storage rate is listed on the ASX. The stock ticker is NSR. And if you download the Sharesies app or visit sharesies.com.au to learn more, you can uh, get access to Australia, New Zealand and US markets. Promo code GROW to get $10 into your account to start investing. Promotion T's and C's apply. But Lou, thank you so much to yourself and Jarden. And uh, it's an absolute pleasure to hear you uh, to hear thoughts on um, a stock. I'm sure that not many people in the equity mates community would be across. So, um, but really everyone would have it. driven past. At yes, some point. everyone yeah. would have driven past. So, thank you so much for your time. No, thanks for having me. 
You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.